turn to Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 through 29. Um, Can you do me a favor? Can you just repeat after me? God is good. Jesus is real. Let's hold on to that, yeah? Okay. Verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who, ha- who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and your faith, and service, and patient endurance, that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule with them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. Verse 29. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Lord, this is your word. And I pray that with the ears that you have given us, both physically and spiritually, Lord, may we be in tune to your voice this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can all have a seat. So, uh, we got Ephesus, right? We got Smyrna. Remember the third one? Pergamum. Good job. And now we got Thyatira, right? So, there should be a map. Uh, Yeah. So, Ephesus was our first stop. Smyrna. Our second, both on the coast. The third was Pergamum, which was more inland. It wasn't as well known as Ephesus and Smyrna. But then we come to this other church, Thyatira. All right, so Thyatira was not very well known either. Uh, It was actually the gateway to Pergamum. So before you got to Pergamum, you had to get through Thyatira. Thyatira was set up uh, ultimately to be a defense mechanism for Pergamum. So they would be the first line of defense. However, uh, it, it was not very good defense because they were situated in an open valley where the people who were coming to attack Pergamum, uh, Thyatira wouldn't last long in this open valley that they were in. There was no threat of persecution in Thyatira, unlike Smyrna. Uh, but they did possess a fortune-telling shrine. Uh, now think of the, uh, the fortune-tellers that we have in our city. They possessed uh, ultimately one of these places where you could get your fortune told. And so they ha- did have that up against them. Uh, but what it was known for was its dyeing industry. It was especially known for uh, purple. Uh, do you remember the book of Acts where uh, we're introduced to Lydia? You remember how Lydia was a seller of purple goods in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. It says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. 
She was a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. So there were people who worshiped God in Thyatira, but this city was known for uh, their purple dye. Uh, But they were also known for their their trade guilds, uh, metal workings, and textiles, right? Uh, But, however, the problem with wearing this thing and having a beard is sometimes it pulls on it. It's not fun. Right? Praise God. Okay. (laughs) In every season, rejoice, right? My beard is getting pulled out. Come on. Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) But they were known for their metal workings and textiles. Uh, This was, it was a very hands-on type of community. So they were very uh, hands-on when it came to their guilds. But their guilds almost came another, became another type of religion to some people. Uh, And if you did not join these guilds, you were frowned upon. So as you can imagine, if most of the city, which was not very big, 25 to 30,000 people, uh, if most of the city came to Christ but didn't come to, into one of these guilds, they were looked upon as actually they're joining a cult. Uh, but it, it was the opposite. If people were to join in with these guilds, they were actually truly joining the cult. Um, but to this church, to Thyatira, Uh, Jesus has a very strong word for them, Uh, but he introduces himself as, uh, well, you'll see in verse 18, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like the vision that John saw of Jesus when he turned and he saw eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze? The author of this letter is no doubt, starts with a J, ends with an Jesus. The author of this, if you have a Bible that has all red letters, red letters means it's straight from Jesus. And so Jesus has a strong word unto this church. And he introduces himself here with his deity. Ultimately, his authority to judge unrepentant sinners. Uh, Now, the Son of God is a term that is only used once, and it's right here in Revelation. It's only used once in the entire book, right here in verse 18. Uh, But John, you remember in Revelation chapter 1, how does he see Jesus? He sees Jesus not as the Son of God, but as the Son of Man. Right, Really pointing to Jesus' humanity, speaking of his humanity, his ability to understand the struggles, the temptations, the trials, the adversity that you and I go through. Uh, Aren't you glad that we have a God who can relate to the struggles of life? Hebrews 4.15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The only difference is that Jesus went through what he went through without sin sin because why he's perfect he's the son of God he is God with skin on Jesus knows what it's like to go through trials though he is familiar with the struggles that humanity deals with and well because we see in John 1 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us Jesus came down stepped down from heaven to dwell among us and it says we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus here is pointing to his deity. 
You remember in the Gospels, this is ultimately why they were seeking to kill Jesus because Jesus was equating himself uh, to, to God. He was making himself equal with God by the statements that he made. This in John 5.18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, uh, many cults and world religions of our day do not believe in the deity of Christ. They believe he is a prophet. They believe he is a, a good man. They believe he's a good teacher. They believe he's a rabbi. But one in particular, the Mormons, do not believe that Jesus is God. They do not believe that he carries deity. They do not believe uh, that he is uh, equal with God the Father. Actually, they believe that he is the brother of Lucifer, which got me on that one. But but this is the only time in Revelation, like I mentioned, where he is called the Son of God. Here's why, right? Thyatira, uh, there was a, a, a few uh, select uh, people in there, in the church, uh, who were not holding fast to the doctrine of Jezebel. And we'll get into that for a moment. But Jesus was not coming to the church in Thyatira from a sympathetic stance. You see how with Smyrna, he, he commended them. He didn't have a rebuke at all. He says, keep going, keep, keep suffering for my name's sake. Stand, stand fast, hold fast to my name. But here in Thyatira, he's coming as a divine judge to judge this church, to judge the church of Thyatira for its adultery, to judge the church of Thyatira for its tolerating of sin, to judge the church of its allowance of unbiblical teaching. Jesus is ultimately saying, if we could lose paraphrase, you got to stop. You have to stop tolerating sin and allowing unbiblical teaching to creep into the church. Just like our day and age and churches, many churches around will preach whatever they want to preach aside from scripture they won't hold fast to the word of God and so here in Thyatira we see that uh, this was the case Uh, there was a woman we'll get into this in a minute that was causing quite a scene within the church of Thyatira but do you notice what his eyes are like they're like a flame of fire right now I don't envision us when we get in to heaven, right, to see Jesus, and he's got like Superman laser eyes, okay, I don't see Jesus like that, it's symbolic, remember the book of Revelation, there's a lot of symbolism in there, and it's not like Jesus was walking around in the gospels, right, with laser beams coming out of his eyes, this symbolizes his judgment, it points to Jesus being able to look past the mask, the cover up, and the facade of people, he still does it today, uh, you cannot wear uh, any amount of masks to, to cover up. Jesus sees right through it. But he says his feet, right, whose feet are like burnished bronze. And ultimately this symbolizes his purity and holiness. Ultimately able to stomp out any impurity or, or any uncleanness in humanity. We have to recognize something Did Jesus go to the city of Thyatira or did he go to the church? The church. Why? Because we have to understand that judgment starts at the house of God. 1 Peter 4.17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
For the believer, we will be judged. We will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all stand, Paul speaking to the Corinthian believers, he says, We must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Essentially, when our judgment day comes, where we stand before Christ, we will be judged for what we did in the name of Jesus, or what we did not do. This judgment has nothing to do with salvation, has nothing to do with us being saved. Our sins were judged on the cross of Christ. Jesus bore the weight of the wrath of God for humanity's sin. He was nailed to a cross, paying the, the ultimate price for our sin. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the confession that Jesus is Lord. And so as we stand before him in heaven on that day of judgment, he is not going to be judging us uh, for us to receive salvation. He's judging us based off of our works. Now, what will you be saved from if you confess Jesus as Lord? Uh, the wrath of God, for starters, towards your sin. Jesus took on the full wrath of God for our sins. You'll be saved from hell and eternal separation from the Father. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, there is nothing you and I can do that will, that will cause us to earn salvation. Nothing. No amount of good works, no amount of taking a bunch of youth kids to Bishop's Pumpkin Farm, whatever, or no amount of outreach things. Nothing will save us. Only Jesus saves 1 Corinthians three twelve through 13. Paul gives some insight into what we will be judged for even more. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, do you remember what that foundation was if you were with us as we studied 1 Corinthians chapter 3? The foundation is Christ. And what you build, build upon uh, matters. With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. Remember how Jesus' eyes are like a flame of fire? Our works will be judged. How, how, did, how did you do the work? In whose name did you do the work? Did you do the work to bring glory to yourself or did you do the work to bring honor and glory to the Father? He says, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, for the unbelievers, there is a judgment. For the ones who haven't confessed Jesus as Lord, this is the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the, de the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
You remember what Jesus said to his disciples when they came running back and how they were so excited. They were, they were casting out demons and they were trampling on serpents and doing all these things. They were stoked and Jesus kind of burst their bubble a little bit. He, he says, don't rejoice in that. Don't, don't rejoice in the fact that you can do these things in, in my name. Although, let's be honest, it's pretty, pretty powerful uh, when it does happen. But Jesus says, rejoice in the fact that your names have been written in the book of life. He says that's where it matters, not, not in the, the, the stuff you do on this side of heaven. He, he says your salvation, what you have confessed of me, that matters. And so the question I have for us, us this morning is, is our names written in the book of life? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? For the unbelievers, the, the judgment is based upon salvation. If you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, your eternity is set for hell. Your sins are not forgiven. You're living in sin. And Jesus says, if anyone, uh, if anyone comes unto me, who's ever, whoever is weary or tired or heavy laden, heavy laden speaks of being burdened by our sin. And the only way to become unburdened by our sin is to give it to Christ. To say, Lord, forgive me. I confess that I'm a sinner. But let me put it as clearly as I possibly can, as I can. Everyone at the great white throne judgment is an unbeliever. They've rejected Christ in their life, and they have already determined where their eternity is. This is not a second chance at salvation. This is a judgment based upon one thing. What did you do with what you knew about Jesus? Peter was asked that question. Who do people say that I am? Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're a prophet. Uh, and then what did Jesus say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter's response, well, you're, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're, you're, you're Lord. Uh, have you made that declaration? Have you made that confession this morning or in your life at any point? And I've always had this question when it comes to this is, why would we pay the penalty for our sins if Jesus already paid the price for us? Doesn't it just make sense to accept Christ as Savior? Because he already paid the price. Why should you be tormented in a place that is described as a place where there's constant weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the fire is never quenched? It's a bottomless pit. Now imagine you falling and falling and falling, and there's no end to that bottomless pit. That's your eternity. That, that is what you have to look forward to. But for those that have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, we have much more to look forward to. Because of what Jesus did for us, our eternity uh, can change from hell to heaven. We can be forgiven of our sins. In verse 19, Jesus says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. All right, so remember, in all of the letters to the churches, there's a commendation, right? There's something that the church is doing really good at. There's only two churches that didn't have a rebuke, which is Smyrna, and the next one we'll get to, Philadelphia. Uh, but Jesus here says, all right, guys, you're doing really good at this. And, and what were they doing well in? Well, it was your works, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and the church in Thyatira must have been like, all right, we're doing okay, guys. Like, Jesus just commended us on how well we're doing ministry. Uh, but there's a rebuke. Sorry to burst your bubble again. 
But he says, I know your works and service, right? Do you remember the church in Ephesus? Uh, Jesus commended them for the same thing. For the most part, they were a working church. They were a serving church. They were a ministry-minded church. Uh, They were full of good works. And this was a similarity between Ephesus and Thyatira. Uh, And just like Ephesians 2.10 says that God has prepared beforehand these good works that we should walk in them. Right? Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, this church served within the church. They served their body. They served their congregation. But they also served without, uh, with, outside the congregation. Uh, this word service, right? it can be translated ministry. Uh, it's an active life of caring and helping. Uh, ministry is not just uh, a desk job. Um, I think... <laughs> I think there's a lot of misconception when it comes to ministry roles within the church. Uh, pastors do not eat popcorn and watch Netflix all day, okay? Uh, ministry is active. Some of you are like, wow, they don't? Uh, no, they don't. Um, but it's an active lifestyle of caring and helping uh, those within the church and without, uh, without the church or outside of the church. But Jesus says your works and your service are really well. Your love is even on point. And this was what was different within this church compared to the church in Ephesus. What did the church in Ephesus leave? Their first love. They, they deserted. They abandoned their first love. And we have to know that love is a cardinal, cardinal Christian virtue. Jesus said this in John thirteen thirty five. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have the biggest church. Right? By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have the best live stream production. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have the best stage lighting. The translation doesn't say that. By this all will know that you are my disciples. Help me out. If you have for one another. If the church is not marked by having a love for God and for others, then it will be known for something other than what Jesus has called his disciples to. We are called to love one another. You, you will know that they are my disciples if they have love for one another. The next one is faith. He says, all right, guys, your works, your service, your love, your faith, okay? These are all really well, right? Since love is a cardinal uh, Christian virtue, faith is an essential to our relationship with the Lord. Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. I think so many times we, even within the Christian church, we get this backwards. But love and faith will produce works and service. Right? It's not works and service that produce. Faith. It's faith that produce works and service. Because of your faith in God, you'll want to serve one another. Uh, so, your f- faith... Hang on, got to enter a <laughs> Wi-Fi password. That's great. Right in the middle of service. Next week, I'll be preaching from paper. Jeez. 
Okay. Um, and so Jesus says, your works, your service, your love, and your faith, you guys are doing exceptional so well that actually where you're at now is much better than where you started. He says, you're much stronger in your works and service. You're much stronger in your love and faith. Uh, and so really Jesus is pointing to their maturity which is ultimately the litmus test for us. Uh, somebody who has stayed with their focus on loving God and loving people should grow in their service for one another. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how many times I personally, when I first came to the Lord, grumbled when it came to serving other people. Man, I got to get up early and make coffee. Man, I got to get up early and vacuum. Or man, I got to get up early and do this. Listen, if you find yourself in a place that I was in where it's hard to serve or minister to people, where you grudgingly walk in, where you're dragging your feet in every morning, or you're complaining about the opportunity that God has given you to serve, listen, I would suggest you examine where your heart, at, heart is at for the Lord and for others. Ministry is not always what we want it to be. <laughs> it is, however, what God has called it to be. And that is not about us. Ministry has little to do with you and I, but everything to do with pointing others to Christ. And if ministry becomes about you and how you can get glory for what you're doing, then here's my greatest suggestion unto you. Step aside. Ministry is not about you. Ministry is not about how you can get your name in the spotlight or this, that, or the other. Ministry is about him and making him known. Verse 20, here comes the rebuke. So guys... Girls, ladies, men, you're doing this really well, uh, but I have this against you. Uh, and you can just probably imagine this church of Thyatira being like a balloon that has just been deflated. Like, oh, man, we thought we had this going for us. And now, okay, what's the rebuke, Jesus? But I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food excuse me eat food sacrificed to idols so here's the rebuke we have to understand who Jezebel was if you know your old testament you'll remember that Jezebel was the queen of the kingdom of Israel she was married to a wicked king by the name of Ahab when she became queen she began a campaign to rid Israel of all evidence of Yahweh worship she wanted everything about the Lord to be destroyed, and she ordered even the prophets of the Lord to be exterminated. This is why Elijah ran and hid himself in a cave, because he was afraid of this wicked, wicked woman named Jezebel. Jezebel would end up replacing uh, the altars dedicated and uh, made to Yahweh with those of Baal, to, to idol worship. And this Jezebel would spread that worship of Baal throughout Israel. A commentator by the name of Walvoord uh, says this, She was one of the most evil characters of the Old Testament who attempted to combine the worship of Israel with the worship of Baal. And Jezebel herself had a most unenviable record of evil. This was one wicked lady. But... This Jezebel in Revelation is not the same Jezebel in the Old Testament. This was a different 
Jezebel. This could have been, some commentators suggest that it could have been a name used to essentially say this person is bad news. Uh, they are unbiblical, un, they are doctrinally unsound, and you should be careful and steer clear of this lady who is infiltrating false doctrine into the church. Some offer the suggestion that this could have been the wife of the pastor at the church of Thyatira. Uh, imagine your wife who, yeah, you already get the picture. Uh, I hope that wasn't the case. Uh, but whatever the case may be, Jesus is saying you are allowing this wicked woman woman to corrupt the church. You are allowing her to come in and deceive the church and lead others astray. This Jezebel was influencing the church in the same way the Jezebel of the Old Testament influenced the children of Israel into idolatry and sexual immorality. And she was considered a prophetess. Right? Receiving insights, but no, this was not from the Lord. It was from seers and oracles, and it makes sense to why there was a, a fortune-telling shrine within the city of Thyatira. Not only that, the pastor of this church was allowing this woman in the pulpit of the church in some regard to have some type of doctrinal influence over this church. And so our first point is this, don't tolerate false teaching. What is false teaching? Simply put, it's anything that is not found in the Word of God. If it's not found in the Word of God, if what you're listening to, you can find it nowhere within Scripture, guess what? It's false teaching. Deuteronomy 4.2, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Revelation 22, verse 18 through 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Listen, false teaching is anything that is contrary to God's word. So how do I know what the truth is? How do I know what is true? You study scripture. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And the, ch the church in Thyatira was not doing this. They were tolerating false teaching. They became lax in their study of scripture. And since they became relaxed in their study of scripture, they were tossed to and fro by every type of doctrine that entered this city. Psalm 119, verse 160 the sum of your word is truth, literally meaning the entirety of God's word from Genesis to Revelation is truth. Anything you read out of this book is truth. So where do you find truth? You find it in God's word, nowhere else. And if somebody is trying to add or take away from scripture, uh, you call them out. The sum of your word is truth. The entirety of your word is truth. Check this out. Even the parts that you may disagree with. Listen, the only way to know the sum of his word is if we read it. I've heard so many excuses, not, not from this church, thank the Lord, uh, <laughs> where they might just say, well, I'm just not a good reader. I just, I can't focus. I start reading it and I get drowsy. Do you know how many audio Bibles are out there? 
there's like millions, okay? But then we'll come up with the excuse, well, I don't know where to start. It's, it's a big book. There's six. I'll help you, okay? The Gospel of John, okay? That's a good place to start. Well, and you might say, well, there's t- the translations. It's the NLT, the NIV, the ESV, the NKJV, the KG. What? KG. There's one of those, too. <laughs> um, there's just so many translations. How, how, where, where do I, how do I grab one? There's the Mark translation. No, there's no Mark translation. Um, you got to find one that helps you understand the Word of God. For years, I camped out in the New Living Translation because it was easy to understand. We read ESV here, but listen, just because we read it here doesn't mean you have to read it at home. Find a translation that helps you understand the Word of God. But we live in a day and age where the Bible, let's be honest, at least in our American culture, where the Bible is so easily accessible. I mean, we've got Bibles underneath the chairs. You've got a Bible in your hand. You've got Bibles up there. You've got a Bible on your phone. I mean, it's, it's, we have an abundance of Bibles, and yet we have an abundance of excuses as to why we can't read our Bibles. I'm too busy. Really? Are you? How long is your commute? Oh, it's an hour. Audio Bible. Plug it in. Put a podcast in. Uh, I, th- I think what we've become so accustomed to is making excuses for ourselves because we don't remember the value of God's word. We wouldn't dare leave home without our phones, right? We wouldn't dare leave home without uh, something that's of value to us. Listen, when's the last time you lost your phone? You know, you don't have to answer that, but what'd you do? If you have one of these smartwatches, you hit the ding button on it trying to find your phone, right? And if you still couldn't find it, you maybe asked your spouse, and then you went absolutely crazy. Let me ask you a question. If you left your Bible at home, what would your reaction be? Ah, it's all right. It's okay. It's just my Bible. Just the Word of God. Listen, the Word of God has more value than an iPhone, than an Android, than a tablet, than anything okay and who are we to say that we don't have time to read God's word you have time what you love what you're devoted to what your uh, passion is you will devote your time to so if the word of God is not one of those top things in your life guess what you're not going to make time for it it makes sense but listen if you love reading God's word if you cannot get enough of God's word listen you'll leave your phone at home (laughs) and you'll take your bible with you So how much do you value the word of God this morning? Apparently the church in Thyatira grew very relaxed in doctrinal truths and reading scripture. And also just to note, um, two things, I'm running out of time. Uh, Second thing is, this is why we put such a heavy emphasis on scripture. It's because the word of God, the entirety of the word of God is truth. Not just bits and pieces of it, but the entirety of God's word. Is truth. Now, I know we kind of make it easy for, for us here when we put Bibles underneath the seats and we put them up there. But listen, bring your Bible. Bring a pen. Bring a journal. Mark it up. Listen, let the word of God minister to your heart in the mornings. And guess what? When God speaks to your heart, write it in your Bible. Take it home with you and read it over again. See, they were tolerating false teaching. Because they were lax 
in their study of the scriptures. And so how do we fight against false teaching? Again, the word of God. Where do you find truth? The word of God. Number two, don't make a believer stumble. Right? Jezebel was infiltrating all this false doctrine into the church. She was teaching and seducing Jesus' servants to practice homosexuality, sexual immorality, yes, and possibly homosexuality, but also to eat food sacrificed to idols. Jesus is pointing to this. This false prophet, Jezebel, is causing people to sin, leading them into sexual immorality, and having them eat food sacrificed to idols, okay? Two of the things which God tells us not to do, sexual immorality and idol worship. And that's essentially what Jezebel was bringing into the church of Thyatira and what this church was tolerating. And Jesus had some strong words to say in regard to making a little one stumble. You remember what he said in Mark 9, 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, there is a steep consequence to those who cause another one to sin. Jezebel was doing that. Jezebel was causing some of the the church to dabble in this false doctrine. But in this text specifically, in verse 42 of Mark, I don't believe Jesus is referring to a little child. I believe he is referring to somebody who is young in the faith, who has just started walking with the Lord. And if someone causes one of these little ones in the faith, meaning the little one in maturity, in their faith to stumble, to fall away from him, it would be better if a millstone was hung around his neck. Do you know what a millstone is? It's that. Okay? Now, when we read this, right, okay, we're thinking, oh, it's just a big piece of cement. I'm sure somebody could survive that. Yeah, right. Jesus is saying if you cause somebody to stumble, it's better to have a millstone, which, mind you, a millstone could weigh up to 3,300 pounds, okay, to be thrown into the sea. You wouldn't survive that. To have one of these around you because of the fact that you're causing somebody to sin, Jesus is saying, listen, uh, take your pick. Either lead them to the truth, lead them into righteousness, or have a millstone hung around your neck. It would be better if you did that. Needless to say, Jesus does not take this lightly. It's a serious sin for someone to lead another believer astray. In specific, this lady was leading uh, this church, some of this church, astray now I believe there's something here for us and it's it's this I'm sure we've all been aware of a younger believer who may not know the truth of scripture very well and has got lost into some heretical teaching or who's been thrown into some sin because of the influence of some unsound biblical preacher be careful what you watch on youtube But if you know a younger believer who is being led astray, please do not sit there and say nothing. You need to speak up. You need to say something. You need to say, hey, you are buying into false teaching right now. That is not from the word of God and you need to flee from it. 
If you know somebody who is being led astray, you need to gently call them out, bring them to a place where they can understand the truths of the scripture and then let the Lord deal with them. But to the one who is being led astray, they need to be pulled out of sin. James 5, 19 through 20, it says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. How valuable to you is the one who is being led astray? You know somebody who's got caught up in the Joel Osteen doctrine or the Stephen Furtick or, or you, you name it. You know somebody who is, oh, I got to watch my, my guy on Sunday morning who says and claims that he's God. Uh, that's not biblical. If you know somebody who has got lost in false teaching, who is being led astray by some of these uh, preachers and sneakers guys, uh, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Um, remember this, you are never more like Christ when you choose to go after that one. What did Jesus say in Luke 15? And this is where we'll close because I'm seriously running out of time now. Luke 15, four through seven. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. How many are you left with for you math people? 99. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the, the, the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Listen, as I was reading this and listening to what the shepherd would do when he would go after that one lost sheep, he would put the, he would put the sheep over his shoulders to bring him back to the fold. And sometimes the shepherd would have to break the leg of the sheep because the sheep, as stubborn as that sheep would be, he would end up getting to the fold and leaving right back and going to false teaching or some other pasture where he would be attacked by wolves. But listen, sometimes we need to go carry the one that has gone astray on our backs. We need to help them get back to the fold. We need to speak the truth in love. They may not like hearing what we have to say about their choices, but listen, at the end of the day, how valuable are these souls unto you? Whether it was sexual immorality or offering food that was offered to idols, there was a steep consequence for this woman but I love this, and we'll get into it next week. But Jesus gave her time to repent. Jesus gave her time to repent, and he gave those who got caught up in that teaching time to repent. And maybe, uh, maybe this morning, you've kind of given in to the false teaching that is out there. Maybe you've been listening to unwholesome teaching. You've been listening to, to some heretical teachers. And, and maybe you've been caught up on TBN or CNN, whatever. CNN, a Christian, whatever. No, it's not. That's <laughs> one of those. Both have a lot of heresy. Um, anyways, get back to truth. Get back to the scripture Okay? Don't just take people's word for it. After we're done here, my encouragement to you is to go home and look up the scripture. Be, be able to discern. Be a Berean. If you look at the book of Acts, Paul was teaching the Berean scripture. And what did these Bereans do? They went back and they, they studied the scripture. 
they, they went to make sure that what Paul was saying was in line with what they knew from the scripture. And so maybe you need to repent of that. Maybe you're believing some of these false teachers out there. Maybe you're believing the, the heretical uh, teachers and, and, and maybe you just don't know if they're heretical or not. I, I would encourage you to do your homework. Just because they have a big church, just because they have big lights, just because they have a fog machine, uh, just because they have a, a, a worship leader with super slick back hair, and don't look at Ian when I say this, he doesn't. Uh, <laughs> Listen, it doesn't mean they're biblically sound. <laughs> and so God in his grace gave this woman time to repent, and we'll get into the rest of the, the verses next week. Uh, but let's go ahead and stand. We'll close out in prayer and a chorus. And uh, read ahead. Uh, we'll, we'll finish Thyatira next week, and then we'll get into Sardis, and and then the uh, then the throne room in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that we've had in your Word. Just like the psalmist said that. Uh, the sum of your word is truth. The entirety of your word is truth. And Lord, we stand upon that. Uh, Jesus, you have the final say. And Lord, I, I pray for those in here that have got caught up in the doctrine of some of these heretical teachers. Lord, it was common in, in Thyatira's day, and it's common in ours, where people will come in and they will tell us the things that uh, will, will be nice and easy to swallow they'll even go so far as to say that they're God but Lord we know the truth and it comes from your word and so Lord I pray that if anyone in here is bought into a lie Lord I pray that they would come back to the truth and Lord I, I pray for some of these, these teachers God that, that are not preaching your truth that are preaching uh, fluff Lord, we need, the, we need the truth, and I pray that they would come to a realization of that, God, that they would get back to feeding the flock of God with the truth that is found in your word. And so, Lord, help us to study your word, help us to consume your word, to devour your word. Lord, we need it, for in your word is where we find life. And so, Lord, I commit this day to you, our lives to you, and ask that you would just help us to be sensitive to your leading and your guiding. And Lord, bless the fellowship time that we're about to have. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.